you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Before we jump in to the actual content of the sermon this morning, uh, I just have a quick question. Can, uh, how many, are there people in here who are fans of romantic comedy movies? Like rom-coms, if you want. Okay, what, what's a couple uh, romantic comedy movies that you guys think of as like one of your favorites? Sleepless in Seattle, okay. That's the one where she actually, like, he, like, wants someone that can, like, peel an apple all in one thing, right? And then across the country, it happens. They never know. I love it. <laughs> Not that I've seen it. Um, <laughs> anyone else? Any other ones that we think of? The Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer. Undercover, really enjoyable. Yes, I like that one. Want to grow old with you. I'm not going to sing it, but that's that part at the end. I love it. Any others? Braveheart? <clears throat> All right, this is why they tell you not to take live answers from the audience. No. <laughs> yes, uh, it, there is romance in that, and he fights for his wife. Uh, we're going to be done. Okay, so one of the ones, so good. One of the ones that uh, I remember about, it came out about 30 years ago now, I think, um, is Jerry Maguire. You guys see Jerry Maguire? And it's one of those where it has like this iconic line, right? There's the one iconic line that show me the money, right? But then there's this iconic line at the end when like they have an argument and he shows up and he's like, hello. And then like there's like a, a, a group of women who are talking and his wife's on the other side. And he has this whole like romantic moment and he, he closes it with like, you know, I couldn't enjoy this great night that our business had because I couldn't share it with you. And I couldn't hear your voice. And, you know, I was, I was incomplete. And then he has this moment where he hears like, I love you. You complete me. And then he tries to keep talking, and Renee Zellweger's like, just, just stop, just stop. You had me at hello. And there's like a single tear, right? And it's just this like very powerful, you know, this moment like, oh, this is so sweet and so romantic. And what's amazing about it is like we can, like we remember moments like that. So in Sleepless in Seattle um, and The Wedding Singer and in Braveheart, um, we have these moments where we remember of like the strong romance. And we're like, yes, like that is such a sweet sentiment. That's, that's beautiful. And we think, oh, relationship goals or marriage goals. Like that's what I want to have. Until we realize how incredibly unhealthy some of these things are. So for example, just to pull this one, this sounds really sweet. It sounds like, you know, there's th- that somewhere in the world, there's like one, your broken heart and somewhere else in the world, there's someone else who has a broken heart. And the goal is that you would, you know, complete one another. And, and it's a beautiful thought, but instead of this idea of us supposed to complete one another, it's that we're supposed to complement one another because we're supposed to be made one, not in another person. We're supposed to be made whole in the relationship with Jesus only. And then, and then when it comes to this idea of broken people coming together, if two broken people come together and, and Christ isn't at the center or there isn't that relationship, then yes, can a marriage work? Yes, it can. But can it be all that it was meant to be? No. Because we learn about 
the example and we learn about the model of marriage through the way that Jesus loves the church, through the way that God loves his people. And we're going to hit on that as we close our series next week. But as we think about this, there are so many movie quotes. There are so many um, love songs. There are so many things where there's this um, what one author calls an apocalyptic romance. And what it means is this idea that romance is the be-all, end-all. And if this person isn't okay with me, or if this person you know, doesn't complete me, then I am broken. Rather than the context that we are supposed to become made whole in Christ. Therefore, when we come into a marriage, we're not first seeking for the other person to complete us, but that we have been made whole in Christ. That way we can serve one another. We go into it not with what can this person do for me, but how can I serve this person? How can we love one another? And how can our marriage be an example of what Genesis 2 talked about when two flesh becomes one? The idea that, yes, two separate lives made whole in God coming together for God's purposes. The idea of a cord of three strands is not easily broken with God as that center strand. And a husband and a wife wrapped around that and to be a marriage that honors God because it's a cord of three strands that no matter how tough things can get, that it does not easily break. And so our topic this morning, our title this morning is we're looking at Aquila and Priscilla and the idea is when two becomes one. The first week with Samson and Delilah, when two remains two, when they're not united to God, nor are they united to one another. Last week was when one becomes two, when they start off united with God and one another, and then they separate, creeping separateness over time. Today is what does it look like? What's a, what's a positive example of marriage that we can see in the scriptures that show us what happens when two become one? Will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you again for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that, um, Lord, each person who hears my voice is someone that you deeply love. And whether that person is happily married, unhappily married, happily single, unhappily single, wherever they are in this dynamic, Lord, may we learn about the design for marriage and may we learn about your heart for Marriage not to be where one human completes another human, but where we become whole in you and then we become united with a spouse. Lord, I pray that as we dive into this topic, recognizing the various difficulties and and hurts and, and wounds that can come when we talk about marriage, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you speak and would you fill in the gaps? Would you draw us in and would you show us what it is that we can learn no matter where we are in this spectrum right now when it comes to marriage? Lord, may we learn more about you. May we learn better how to love you and to love others because of what we study today. Pray that as we dive in, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I've mentioned the past couple of weeks, some of the content will be coming from uh, Doug and B.J. Jensen, former church attendees here, uh, their book called Famous Lovers in the Bible. I texted them a few weeks ago when I was starting the series, and I, show, I like, sent them a text of like the different outlines. I'm like, you know, there's one more where I was about to have three... Um, there are three weeks I was going to do, and then the fourth week is always going to be what it is next week. That was always the plan. But I was like, I, was, I really want to figure out to, to add this other one in. And they're like, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, like that's, they're our favorite couple. And so it gave me just that further 
um, just that further catalyst to say, okay, no, I want to switch out one that I was going to use and, and focus on this one. And so, like I've mentioned before, if you would like a copy of this book, it's a free gift from them to us, to you, or through us to you, and encourage you to pick that up on the way out if you're interested. But here's what Doug and BJ Jensen talk about when they're specifically referring to Priscilla and Aquila in this section. They say the most defining characteristic of their marriage was their decision to embrace life as a team and use their diverse gifts and talents to build up the kingdom of God. More than any other couple in the Bible, they had grown into oneness. So when it comes about this idea of when two becomes one, it's the idea that we'll see that they chose to embrace that they were made differently. They weren't trying to complete one another. They were seeing how God had brought them together to complement one another. They would see how they were able to still be united in purpose and united in one another to the point where they experience this oneness that helps paint a picture that is beneficial for us to learn from. Now, to be clear, Priscilla and Aquila is the one that out of the passages, or excuse me, out of the couples we've studied, we actually know the least amount of them, or about them. Uh, you know, Samson and Delilah, we've got a couple chapters of their story, or a chapter, excuse me, of their story. Um, when it comes to Isaac and Rebecca, we've got about several chapters of their story. Here we've got a little bit of Acts 18 and then a couple mentions elsewhere in Paul's writings, but it's enough for us to paint a picture and it's enough for us to answer this question. What can we learn when it comes to marriage? What can we learn from Aquila and Priscilla? Now, we'll find out a little bit more about them. The first thing that we learn about them is this idea that they set an example of what it looks like for us, that our call to go wherever the Lord leads, to go wherever the Lord is leading them. Let's leave that up. I'm going to read from um, Acts chapter 18, verse 1 and 2. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila and a native, Pont a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And so we, we get the picture right away that Aquila is a Jewish man, his wife Priscilla. Um, in the scripture, she's also known as Prisca, like there's a shortened name that uh, Paul uses for her. But we start to see from the very beginning that they were pushed out of Rome because of Claudius's orders, and they make their way to Corinth. Now, that may not seem like much, but some of us have had to move in different places. And whether or not they knew Jesus before this section, or whether this is Corinth, we know Corinth is where they really uh, worked with Paul. But regardless of what happened, it's wherever they went, they were saying, they were figuring out how God could use them. And so we see that they came from Italy and they went to Corinth. Then we jump down a couple verses later in this section where Paul stayed in, on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And so it's this picture of a couple that's saying, Lord, wherever you're leading me, whether it's because a place I don't want to necessarily go, or maybe it's a reason that I don't want to leave. They, they probably didn't want to leave their home in Rome, but because of Claudius's orders, they go to Corinth. They're tent makers by trade, so they found a place where they started working as a tent maker, as, as, as people who worked in leather, and then they started to be able to uh, accumulate some wealth, and they, they worked... And then when the time came, after 18 months, this amount of time that Paul was in Corinth is 18 months long. And we'll see in a moment that he actually stayed with Priscilla and Aquila in their home. And so this was someone where they got to know each other really, really well. So that when Paul was called to go to Syria, Priscilla and Aquila are two that ended up going with him. That they were willing to go wherever the Lord was leading them. And so 
we see here some more examples of where they went. Let's go to the next quotation here. It says this, together they were partners with Paul and partners with one another in the missionary work of the early church, heading churches and gathering worshipers in their homes in the urban centers of Rome, Corinth, and Ephesus. And so this couple had a house church that we learned about in Corinth. We'll see later on that they made their way to Ephesus. Then there's a point when Paul writes to the Romans. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila while they're in Rome. So there was a time where they went back to Rome. And then at the end of their life, or excuse me, at the end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, who was the pastor at Ephesus. And he said, say hello to Priscilla and Aquila. So we see this picture of at least three different cities in which Priscilla and Aquila went because the Lord told them to go. Whether they were forced because they had to leave Rome because of Claudius, whether they were called because they were following Paul on the missionary journey, where, whatever it was, they say, I'm going to go wherever the Lord leads me. Some of you here, you're, you, you are living here because job opportunities or this is where you grew up. Some of you, it's, it's a place where maybe you didn't want to necessarily live, but you were forced out because of a job dynamic or a family dynamic that, that you're like, okay, this is where we're going to settle. Others of you feel like this is where I'm called to be. This is where everything lined up just right, and I'm so grateful to be here. Wherever you are in that, instead of saying, oh, I wish I could live somewhere else, or when is God going to call me to the next place, or looking ahead, it's saying, where can we recognize that God has called us here? So I'm going to do whatever I can to honor and to serve God here, whether here is for a month or a year, a decade, or a lifetime. Am I willing to serve here? And then am I willing to go, though, even when it's time to leave? That when Steph and I, we had been at the church, our previous church, for 12 years, and then we knew it was, it was coming up to time to leave, and it was, it's hard to realize in this moment of like, okay, like we are, we are going to be moving our girls from the only church that they've ever known, the only city, the only home that they've, uh, that they've lived in. I'll shave the new, new another one briefly, but because um, we'd moved. Sounded more dramatic than it was. Um, but, but then we had this moment where it's like, okay, like, are we going to leave the friendships that we've known for 12 years? Are we willing to step out in that? And, and to Steph's great credit, it's, it's one of those where like, okay, yes, we're willing to pursue this. And then it's saying, so wherever you are, whether you feel like you're forced out, whether you feel like you're called to, go where the Lord is leading you. Number two, right away we see in verse three that not only did Priscilla and Aquila did they go wherever the Lord leads, they also opened up their home. And this was a vital part of their ministry. We see it re referenced in what we just talked about, how there were church that met in their houses. But even before that, we see the second part of verse two and then verse three says this. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So they actually opened up his home for Paul to be able to live, or their home, for Paul to live with them for a year and a half. They had a similar, you know, they were, were all tent makers, so they had a similar trade, but then they became so like-minded. They opened up their home for a missionary to live for a year and a half. Not only that, we see later on, and we'll unpack this more later too, but um, we're talking about Apollos here, and he was speaking to uh, boldly in the synagogue. And Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. That he that talks about in that section that, and again, we'll look at it more, but he only knew the, the baptism of John. He didn't understand what this looked like to, to follow Jesus fully and wholly. And so they pull him aside. They open up their home like, hey, let's, let's talk about what 
Jesus has really done. Let's share about the scripture. Because then Apollos goes and he goes to another church and he preaches and they send him out. But it was this beautiful moment where in their home was a place where rich, life-changing ministry took place. We continue, 1 Corinthians 16 tells us about this. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Achilla and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. Romans 16, 3 and 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Greet also the church that meets at their house. We see that opening up their home was a beautiful, and it was a rich, beautiful ministry. And again, it's different than these days. And this is what uh, one of the commentators says this. Richard Strauss says, Churches in the New Testament times could not afford to own land and build buildings, nor would it have been wise to do so if they could, in view of the continual pressure and persecution. Where did they meet? They met in homes. And the home of Aquila and Priscilla was always open to people who wanted to learn more about Christ and for Christians who wanted to grow in the word. The, the home was something that Priscilla and Achilles said, hey, they, they apparently had made enough money as tent makers to afford homes in Corinth and in Ephesus and in Rome. And they saw what they had, whether it was their home, whether it was money, their resource, they saw it as something to be used for the Lord. Not something to hold on to or, or to, to, to hoard, but to be used for the ministry of the Lord. Richard Strauss continues, and he says this, While we have church buildings, there is no substitute for the home as a center for evangelism and spiritual nurture in the community. The possibility for using our homes to serve the Lord are unlimited, and this might be a good thing for husbands and wives to discuss and pray about together. That it might be worth praying and discussing this idea of, can our home be used to host a, a small group? Even if we don't feel like we're leaders, could we open up our home and say, we would love to have people, that our home would be a place where people who want to learn more about God's word would be welcomed. Do you say, we would love to have our home be a place where our student ministry, maybe you have a pool or a game room, or you have something that like students were like, oh, this would be really fun. You say, hey, I don't know how to talk to middle schoolers or high schoolers, or I don't feel comfortable with that necessarily, but I can open up my home. So there's a safe place where they can have fun. Maybe it's something where it's, you just say, hey, we're going to invite people over, and, and it's, maybe it's one couple at a time or one friend at a time, and you just go and you sit in the backyard and you just talk about life. Encourage one another in the Lord. The opportunities, the possibilities for using our homes to serve the Lord are unlimited. Maybe you're someone who wants to welcome in uh, someone who's a foreign exchange student. Maybe when we have missionaries visit, you say, hey, I'd be open. I have an extra room or, or a portion of the house they could use. I'd like for that to be an option. I mean, there are so many different ways that God can use your home to bless people and to help people come to a deeper, richer relationship with Jesus. Priscilla and Achilles embody that, and we can maybe follow in those footsteps. Next one. Not only do they go wherever the Lord leads, not only do they open up their home, but they also dedicated their lives to serving. So one thing we learn is to dedicate your lives to serving. We see this in Romans 16. I showed you verses 3 and 5, but there's a verse 4 that explains a little bit more about um, Paul's relationship with Priscilla and Aquila and his gratefulness for them. So uh, Romans 16, 3 and 4. Said, sweet, greet Priscilla and Achilla, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. 
This is not something that happens if, if they were only halfway in when it comes to following Jesus, that they risk their lives. Now, what we don't know is the risking of their lives specifically related to the church um, Ephesus. There were some riots that happened in, uh, later on in Acts. Was that when it happened? Was it more the fact that they risked their lives to go on that missionary journey with Paul and they were willing to sacrifice so much? We don't have the specific um, event that's referred to, like very clearly laid out, because Paul just gives this very short greeting. But he's writing in the book of Romans, and he's telling them, again, he's greeting them because they are back into Rome now. And he's saying, we are so grateful for them. They are some of our co-workers in Christ. Now, we might hear co-worker and we think about that person that, you know, has a cubicle down the hallway or an office down the way or someone that maybe we work on projects with, but there's not much else. The word co-worker, when Paul uses it referring to the gospel, is so much, um, is so much stronger than just, oh, someone I work next to. Someone that we've just kind of worked on a project briefly with. Here's what uh, we talk about here. Timothy, what's his last name again? Timothy Milinovich says this. He's quoting another theologian, Witherington, notes that Paul refers to them as co-workers or synergos. Synergy, where do we get that word from? A term he uses sparingly for the closest or most persistent co-ministers. Again, this was not a half-hearted devotion to serving the Lord and serving others. This was them dedicating Priscilla and Aquila, dedicating their lives to say, we are going to serve God wherever he leads. We're going to open up our homes. We are going to dedicate our lives to serving God and to serving others. It's no half measures, no halfway. It's all in. And it's a beautiful example for us. Doug and B.J. Jensen continue this thought, and they say this, stepping out in faith and making God the main focus of their lives and marriage better equipped them to serve God, each other, and others. It's by dedicating their lives to God. It's by not saying, you know, you complete me and saying God is the one who makes us whole. And as two whole beings, we are able to be united in Christ. It means that we're not looking to the other in order to fulfill our needs, in order to say, well, I'm only okay if that person is okay. It's, it's not two broken hearts that are healed by another person. It's two broken hearts that have been healed in Jesus and then wrap their lives around him as husband and wife in order to have a, a marriage that is honoring to God in a cord of three strands. And because they're looking after and they get their hope and their purpose from God first, they are able to serve. Yes, they serve him out of gratitude of what he's done in their lives. They serve one another because they recognize that if the marriage is mostly, how can I get my needs filled, then it's selfishness develops. And we talked about that with Delilah and Samson. It's they're able to serve one another and then it allows them to have that freedom to serve those around them. So it's dedicating their lives to serving, to figuring out what is it, God, that you've called us to. Here's where you have us. Go where the Lord leads. Open up our home. This is one way we could serve. But being open to whomever walks through our doors, we're going to serve them. Wherever God calls us to go, we're going to find a way to serve God by serving others. It's not the idea of when... Um, you know, it's, it's following in the example of John 13 when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. He says, go and do likewise. I, as your teacher, do this. You ought to do it as well. And it's thinking about in any circumstance, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, people coming, whether it's in school, whether it's in different ministries in church or wherever the Lord leads you, it's how can I serve? 
How can I help? What can I do to wash the feet, either literally or metaphorically, of the people around me? Dedicate our lives, like Priscilla and Achilla did. They were willing to move, willing to do whatever. Dedicating their lives to serving God and to serving others. This next one's vital as well. It's the, third, or the fourth point is that they also, they love God's word. Love God's word. How do we know that they love God's word? I mean, they were living with Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament. And so, you know, it's like, did he ever just quote himself? I don't know. I don't know how that works. But he was in, they were in there talking about God's word and learning about what Jesus has said and learning about how that impacts their lives and dedicating their time to loving God's word. Not a, not a passive checkbox, I read the Bible today, but hiding God's word in our heart, allowing it to shape us, allowing it to be the light unto our path, allowing it to be something that we know is God-breathed, that is useful for reproof and correction and building up. Loving God's word. How do we see that? We see this here later on, verses 24 through 26. Well, you can follow along on the screen, or I'll read it here. Starting verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of, Jesus, of John. Excuse me. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Achilla heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now, I know we've hit on this part earlier when it came to opening up the home, but the idea was that in order to be able to correctly teach and train someone in God's word, you have to know God's word and embody it. In order to know God's word and embody it, you have to love it. It can't be a chore on your list it can't even be something that you just do individually in a marriage. It's beautiful to be able to read God's word and then share what it is that one another are learning. Or you go through a devotional together, or you pray together, or you spend time together discussing God's word. But it's this reminder, and it's this idea that we have to love God's word if we're going to be able to have a marriage that honors God because it shows us how to live, how to interact with us and God, how to interact with one another as spouses, how to interact with our kids, how to interact with those that we work with or serve with. And it's not just this, it's not just this something that was written thousands of years ago that just sits on a shelf that doesn't have any impact. But God's word is living and it is active. It is something that is working now in our lives and we can experience life change when we have a hunger for his word when we love it when we spend time meditating on it and thinking about it and not not the 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 newer idea of meditation of like emptying ourselves but the christian meditation idea of filling ourselves with god's word and chewing on it and pondering it and seeing how does this impact or or affect my life it's loving God's word and doing so in such a way that therefore when someone asks us questions, we don't need to have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. But would we be able to say, hey, I don't know that, but let's study God's word together. Or would we say, hey, I want to find the answer for you, but I'm going to find the answer for you in God's word, not according to Google. Does it mean that we're going to go to the source because God's word is so important in our lives? That that's where we get our standard for living. It's where we get our, 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 our idea of how to interact. 
because we know the stories and we know the, the calling to live according to his word. So Priscilla and Aquila, they were so well-versed in his word that they could correct someone who was teaching accurately but only partially. And then later in the section, it talks about how verse 27, it's not on the screen. It says, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those by grace who believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Why is that important? Because it's not that far off, and one of the commentators mentioned it, it's not that far off to think, I wonder who some of the brothers and sisters were that wrote to this other church to give that letter of recommendation. And I wonder the amount of time that Priscilla and Achilles spent with him to learn more accurately and adequately God's word. Who else would write on his behalf? And who else would have the weight that their words, that, their, that the, what they wrote, uh, writ down, wrote down, written down, written down, would mean something to this other church? Now, it doesn't say Priscilla and Achilles wrote it, right? Like I'm not, but we could imagine that if there were letters of recommendation, it's not that far-fetched to imagine that Priscilla and Achilles were people that wrote on Apollos' behalf. Hey, we've spent time with him. He knows God's word. And we see the impact in these verses, verse 27 and 28, that he vigorously defended Jesus as Messiah because he had been well taught by men, a man and a woman who loved God's word. Last point for this morning as we look at this together. And this one we're going to spend the majority of our time on uh, as we close. The last one is to yearn to love God together. Love God together. We've talked about what happens when maybe we start loving God, um, but then we kind of creeping separateness, and all of a sudden we're not discussing what God's doing. We're not doing life together. One has their own hobbies. One has their own groups of friends. One has their own work situation, and they never come together to discuss it. And so separateness comes in. And like we talked about last week, that's something that could seem so rock solid with a few wedges that are driven into a marriage just properly placed and repeatedly hit that would just create this divide and this boulder that we saw that completely separated. The same thing can happen to a rock-solid marriage at first if we allow the enemy to just have different things, miscommunication, different struggles, conflict, avoidance, things that have hurts, habits, hang-ups, brokenness, different things that the enemy just wants to keep dividing. So, we need to yearn, we need to long for, we need to emphasize and intentionally go towards loving God together. We'll see this here. Achille and Priscilla are mentioned in four different books of the Bible. One was never mentioned without being linked with the other. They were passionate and diligent in working together for the Lord and giving of self. What enabled them to become one as a couple in everyone's eyes we suspect it was because they gave themselves and their marriage wholeheartedly to the Lord. You never just hear Paul say, I'm really grateful for Priscilla. Or I'm really grateful for Aquila. It's always both. They were a pair. Now, in all but two of the references, in two references, Aquila is named first. In all the others, Priscilla is named first. Now, that would be pretty rare when it comes to 
culturally speaking, that the wife would be mentioned before the husband. But some of the conjecture comes is like, well, perhaps it's because she was the more gifted one. She was the one that knew things better. All the women are like, amen and amen, right? And so uh, just acknowledging that the, she was the one that was more prominent. Now, it could have been social status. Maybe she was someone, because we don't know. We know he was Jewish. We don't know if she was Jewish or if she was a prominent woman within that had like more... Um, a more prominent Roman lineage, and so whenever they would, Paul would write to that, he would lead with her. We don't know. What we do know is there was never one without the other. It was never, we're just grateful for Priscilla's work, or we're just grateful for Achilles. work. It was, they were always together. I did a uh, men's, it was called Men's Fraternity. It was a um, three-year course, uh, and it was at 5.30 in the morning on Thursdays, right at the very beginning um, of our marriage. Our, our old church did this for about, uh, again, three years or so. And it was the second session about it was called Winning at Work and at Home. And there's a visual, and it's not this exact one I'm about to show, but the, the visual stayed there in my mind um, as something that is healthy and beneficial. And it's called like, you might hear it as like the marriage triangle or something like this idea. And here's what I want to show. This idea that God is this forefront, and that the husband and wife are here. And yes, there's still a connection here. But it says that when we're further from God, the distance between husband and wife is greater. So if husband and wife, yes, there's still a connection to God, but if they're further from God, then all of a sudden that they will actually experience that distance within their own marriage. That there, we know that there would be couples, I'm sure um, couples in this room and joining us online where one is closer than the other, it kind of feels a little off, it's not necessarily a, a triangle, it's, or, or maybe it's one that's like an isosceles, rather equilateral, um, that's as mathematical as I know, so we'll stop there. But it's just one of those where we think about it and we think, okay, like there's a distance there. Doug and BJ say this, they say that as we move closer to unity with God, through prayer and reading the Bible, we will move closer to unity with our spouse. God made marriage an opportunity for growing towards oneness. Now, this is how it's designed to be. It means in real life, we know that it's broken in the same way. We know that in the scriptures that we've read and many other scriptures, marriages were not what God had designed them to be. But here's what it should look like as we're drawing closer to the Lord it's that as we draw closer to the Lord, we should be drawing closer together. It says, when closer to God, the husband and wife will be closer to each other. And it's recognized this cannot be done just on our own. One of us, yes, could be closer than the other, but the more we share, the more we encourage, the more we challenge, is it possible to bring one another closer? Maybe it's one of you's pursuing the Lord, and you're like, I, we need to get some some help beyond like a pastoral counseling or a sermon series. And, and you think, okay, like, let's go to a counselor. Let's go to a Christian licensed marriage family therapist that can really help us to view our marriage, not just as one side against the other, but as both sides trying to draw closer to one another as they draw closer to the Lord. Because if they just draw closer to one another without the Lord as that center strand, can marriage work? It can work. But can it be what it was designed to be? Let's answer this here. We look at this. These two who lived together, worked together, and suffered exile together came to know and love Jesus Christ together. And it made their marriage complete. Now they were one in Christ. And his love made a good marriage even better. That may be just the thing your marriage needs. 
If either one of you has never placed your faith in the sacrifice which Christ made for your sins, your marriage cannot be complete. True oneness can only be found in Christ. Our marriage cannot be complete. Why? Because marriage is not Jerry Maguire saying, you complete me to another person, to a spouse. It's saying that we can only be made whole in a relationship or through a relationship with Jesus. And because of that, when both are pursuing Christ, if we both have the same destination, we're going to get closer to one another as we pursue that. And so if you think, ah, I want to have this closeness with my spouse, and you don't know what it is, one of the questions is, is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus as the one to make you whole? Are you looking to your spouse or to your kids or to someone else's approval or to your money or to your possessions or to your success? Are you looking to something or someone else to provide you to feel like you are made whole? Because anything other than Jesus is a foundation that will not last. It's building our lives upon shifting sand. But there could be no other foundation that which has already been laid in Christ Jesus, as 1 Corinthians 3.11 says. So we all need to have our own heart checks of, am I right with God? And then, if there are some spouses where we both, yes, we, we both want to follow Jesus and we've fallen off the path, we're no longer a triangle, we're kind of, you know, going off, whatever it is, then it's saying, okay, well, then let's make God our focus. And the prayer becomes, God, would you draw us closer to one another as we draw closer to you? If one of you is following Jesus and the other one isn't there or has struggled or is going through a hard time, then it's praying for your spouse to be able to have that foundation in Jesus. And we know, we know that, that we're called to stay as we were when it comes to marriage. If we're married and one of us comes to Christ, we stay in that marriage and we pray and we ask God to open the eyes and the hearts of our spouse. And so it's praying, God, would you do a work in my spouse's life so that we too can become as part of this Marriage triangle where we draw closer to one another as we draw closer to God. And so as we look at this idea, it's recognizing that, again, the world wants to encourage us to find our completeness, our completion in another person. But that's never how it was meant to be. The only one that we can be fully complete or made complete with is a relationship with Jesus. And so then we come not as one who needs something from our spouse, but as one who's first able to give, able to serve. We recognize that if God is the head of our household, if God is the center strand around which we wrap our lives, then we can go wherever he leads us because we trust in his leading. We can open up our homes and say, you know, I, we may not have a bunch, we may not have as nice of a home as someone else, but we have something and God can use our something better than he can use our willingness to do nothing. We have the idea of dedicating our lives. We could say, if God is the center, we can dedicate our lives to serving God and to serving others. If God is that focus, then we love his word. And it's hard when it challenges us, and it's hard when it calls us out, and yet we submit to the authority of God's word rather than asking God's word to submit to our authority, what we want.
And then we yearn to love God together. We pray for one another. We pray with one another. We read God's word together. We get the help that we need if it's professional, like, again, a a Christian licensed marriage family therapist to get that help, the resources, the tools, the ability to be able to mend what has been broken. Because what God has brought together, he doesn't want to be torn asunder. And so if we are praying prayers like, God, work in our marriage, we know that he can hear our prayers and he can work. And we know that we can have the kind of marriage like Priscilla and Aquila, that is able to have this impact. That we don't know everything about them, but what we know is incredible. Because they give us an example, as we go to the next slide, they give us an example of what a godly marriage looks like. One that goes wherever the Lord leads, one that's opening up your home, one that dedicates your lives to serving, one that loves God's word, and one that yearns to love God together. Not a perfect marriage, because none of us have a perfect marriage, we can have a godly one where he is a center strand around which husband and wife wrap their lives and their marriage around. And a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. And Lord, I know... Um, with a sermon like this, with a, with a topic like this, with a series like this that each week can bring up different hurts or different struggles or different um, aches that we want um, prayers to be answered. Lord, I pray that you would meet each of us where we are this morning. Lord, I pray that we would combat the lie with your word, that we would combat the lie that we can only be made complete in a spouse that somehow who we love as a spouse is going gonna, is gonna to make us whole and make us happy and make us complete. It might be a, it might be a catchy line from a romantic comedy, but it's, but it's not truth, Lord. May we find our first and foremost, may we find our completion being made whole in you. And may that be the foundation upon which our marriage and our home and our lives are built upon. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you are speaking to each and every one of us who's part of the service today. That you are drawing couples and marriages closer to one another as they draw close to you. And Lord, that you would help us to know how we can get whatever resources or help that we need in order to have a marriage that um, is a godly marriage like Priscilla and Achilles that we learned about this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you work in our lives to convict and to comfort and to come alongside us. So Jesus, may we fix our eyes upon you as the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, may we draw close to our spouses as we draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. 
see you next time.